All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We're continuing our series in Genesis beginnings. Outlines are available for you. Uh, pens on the table if you need them. We are uh, today in the section God's covenant with Abram, chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. So we will start there today. Actually, starting with verse 17, I'll just take do a brief refresher on the first part of the chapter, then we'll pick up with verse 17 and read that in uh, just a moment. But I want to pray first, so let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, a very beautiful day, and thank you for sweet fellowship at the tables. We've had a good time, and we love the food. Thank you for providing for us, and, and I pray that you'll use the food to strengthen and nourish our bodies. We desire to honor and please you with our lives today, so I pray that you will Encourage us and help us as we do that. Help us to learn from the book of Genesis. And again, I thank you for all who are here. Pray your blessing upon each one and their families. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, now in uh, verses uh, 4 and 5 of, of chapter 15, God reminds Abram again of the uh, covenant, of the promise that he is making to him. That I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a, a great land. And he reminds him, and your seed will be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And I will bless the whole world through your seed. So he reminds Abram of that promise. And then the key response that Abram makes in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. So that's a real key verse. I think I said last week, really ought to highlight or underline that verse in, in, your, in your Bible. Then in verse uh, 7 through 11, God's getting ready to uh, ceremonially ratify this covenant. So we went into great detail about the animals and the division with animals on both sides of this kind of like an owl or a walkway. And this was this is so unusual to us, but it was not unusual in the first in that day, the day Abram lived at all. That's the way they ratified covenants and agreements. And so normally it would be uh, two people made a covenant with one another, and they would put the animal carcass. They would divide an animal carcass and put one piece over here, one piece over here. Then they'd walk side by side. They walk between it, and as they walk between it, that was a sign of the ratification of the covenant or the promise or the legal agreement. Uh, <clears throat> and it was their way of saying, I, I promise I will not go back on my word. And if I do, then you can cut me asunder just like these animals right here. So that was pretty serious. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna walk through there, you better be sure you're gonna keep your word because you don't want to end up on one side of the aisle at some point in time. So that that's what is about to happen. So there's the preparation for that in verses seven through eleven. Then verses twelve through sixteen, Abram falls into a very deep sleep. He's troubled in his sleep. It's a disturbing sleep. And and it's because the presence Yahweh is present. God is present. And so there's a restlessness in Abram as he sleeps. And in it he says <clears throat> your descendants are going to be in slavery for 400 years for 400 years and then they're going to come out of slavery and they will come back and occupy this land that I'm, I'm going to show you and so that was a stunner and also to Abram God makes it clear 
your descendants will occupy this land, but you won't. You will never, uh, you will not live long enough to see all of this fulfilled. But I promise you, you will die in shalom. You will die in peace. And so Abram believed that and uh, rested in his heart with that promise that God had made. Now, we get to verses 17 through 21. And uh, let's, let's look at that. Let's finish up chapter 15. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Remember the animals passed between them. It's like this smoking firepot is floating down this aisle by itself. It's not the float smoking pot and Abram. Abram's sleeping. It is Abram is smoking pot alone. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. So, the land covenant is ratified. It's a unilateral ratification. Only God in the presence of this smoking fire pot moves between the carcasses of the animals down the aisle God alone doesn't wake doesn't pull Abram up and say walk beside me God does it himself it's this uh, amazing fireworks show oh, it's not really fireworks it's just fiery presence God makes a fiery presence and the smoking pot radiates in the darkness. So here is a visual manifestation of God's presence. And later Moses would experience something similar when he encountered the burning bush. And God speaks to him. So this is a symbol of God's unapproachable holiness. This smoking fire pot. The glowing fire pot, the glowing furnace, whatever name you want to give it, moves and glides down the aisle lined with the animal parts. And Abram was not asked to join in. It was God alone. This is an unconditional unilateral covenant. God is symbolizing that if he were to break his word, this is symbolically what God is saying, if, if I break my word, then I can be sundered apart just like these butchered animals. This is a divine drama guaranteeing that Abram's descendants would get the land or God himself will die. And we know God's not going to die, so God's going to keep his promise. And this symbolically is that picture. Then God speaks... In verses 18 through 21, like he would later speak to Moses at the burning bush. So he speaks to Abram and he delineates the breadth of the land that he is going to give. And the promise would be actualized for a while during the reign of David, followed by his son Solomon. But ultimately it would dissolve. And today, stunningly, after generations... Israel approximates the ancient designations, not totally, not totally, and not yet, but 
stunningly close, approximates what God lays out here for Abram. So under the stars, Abram had believed that a countless people would come from his own body. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Now with the same faith, he believes that the land would someday go to his people. So numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, I'll bless the whole world through your seed. And we ultimately know that that comes in Jesus and the land is going to be to your descendants. It's going to belong to them. Now, 4,000 years later, I believe God's promise that he made to Abram and to the nation. It's, uh, I guess, fascinating, amazing, stunning, whatever you want to call to go to that land today and to reflect on 4,000 years of history. Um, it's, it's amazing. In fact, you'd think, well, there's not much left from Abram's day, and that would be true. Uh, but there are a few things. In fact, if you've been before, you have no doubt seen the Canaanite gate at Dan in northern Israel, the remains of that, that is the very gate through which Abram walked. And uh, they have got that carefully preserved because it would only take a good wind to just finish it off but they've got that thing carefully preserved and it's it's phenomenal to think that you could even see something that is that old and that that's significant but I want you to know I also believe what the Bible says in Galatians 3:29 when it says if you belong to Christ then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise so we who are Christians are also heirs to the promise God made to Abraham. And as a Christian, we are part of Abram's offspring, his people. And there is an ultimate land awaiting you and me. You know where I'm talking about? Sure you do. The same land to which Abram went. And uh, when he went, he was full of years and he went in peace. And what a Savior we have, and what a future we have. You know, only the Christian, and I've said this before, and you're probably tired of hearing it. I hope you're not tired of hearing it. <laughs> only the Christian can say the best is yet to be. And be and be absolutely accurate no matter when we say it. The best is yet to be. So for you and me, the best is yet to be. No matter how good life may be or may have been, no matter how bad life may be, the best is yet to be. And isn't that exciting how God has provided for us and we are so thankful. Now, we come to chapter 16 and uh, I've entitled this Forgetting God's Promise because it's that that's really what happened. Now, let, let me just tell you, remind you of this, I, as I read this, it just hit me over and over again. Whenever we forget God's promise, we are likely to get in trouble. So remember the promises that God has made to us and hold steadfastly to them. And don't doubt, even when it looks like maybe God's changed his mind, 
He hasn't. So don't doubt. Cling fast to the promises of God. And what we find in this chapter is intellectually, Sarah, Abram, they have not forgotten the promises of God. There's nothing wrong with their brains. They were functioning just fine. But because time had passed and the promise had not been fulfilled, there was a frustration that entered into the heart of Abram and Sarai, particularly Sarai, that caused doubt that resulted in the wrong action. So that can happen to us if we're not careful. So with that in mind, I want to read the entire chapter. It's only 16 verses. So let's look at chapter 16. Um, by the way, we're reading living history. I mean, we're, we're feeling the effects of this chapter today. So, aren't we? Okay? So don't look at this as ancient history. It doesn't have anything to do with, with me. If you're alive on the, place of, on the face of planet Earth, this chapter affects you. So, here we go. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me. Now look who she's blaming. The Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. We've got several problems going on right here, right? Several issues. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took his wife, Sarai his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Ten years living here 10 years, no baby has come, not pregnant, so I've got to take matters into my own hands. I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to take care of this. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I'm just going to let that lay right there. I'm not going to say a word. All right? I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. At the time Moses writes all this, everybody knows where that is. They know where that spring is. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she said. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, notice this promise, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall give him, name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. 
and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And uh, that term means well of the living one who sees. And you probably have that translated down at the bottom of the page in your Bible. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay. In, in the light of chapter 15, chapter 16, pretty surprising, isn't it? We just covenant what Abram saw, what Abram heard. So chapter 16 is pretty surprising. We have a um, stunning biblical triangle here. Abram, Sarai, Hagar. And in these verses, we can feel, we can feel the rejection, the anger, the hurt, the jealousy, and the vicious cruelty. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse once wrote, No perfect feet walk the path of faith. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Our feet are not perfect. Our walk is not perfect. And we're also reminded by the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So pay attention. Now, there's somewhat of a chaotic situation in verses 1 through 6. Sarah, along with Abram, 10 years in Canaan. She's now 75 years old. The barrenness was a disgrace in ancient culture. That's sad that that would be the case, but it was it was reality, and it all fell upon the woman. All fell upon the woman. Uh, we know today that barrenness sometimes is a physical condition that a woman has. Sometimes it's a physical condition of the husband. Uh, and we know there should be no reproach upon that. But in that day, barrenness was a disgrace. And it all fell on the woman. So that was that was not fair, but it was the way it was. Sarah felt as if her time had expired. Biological clock, although they would have never known those terms, the biological clock has run out and it's too late. God didn't do anything. Uh, she knew God's promise, but she gave up hope in God. And she decides to take matters into her own hands, which is probably never a good idea. Now, I'm not, I don't want to sound harsh towards Sarah or to Abram, um, because I have the most incredible admiration for both of them as a man and woman of faith. And what would I have done in the same situation? I, I, I certainly have no way of knowing the answer to that, neither, neither do you. I mean, we might say, well, I would have never done that, but how do you know? So, not being hypercritical, yet I think the scripture is plain that in taking things into their own hands, they did 
they showed a lack of faith in the promise of God. So Sarai comes up with a scheme. She discounts God's power and his promise, and she picks her slave, Hagar, no doubt her chief slave, probably one she got in Egypt when they were there. And she comes up with a polygamous solution. And that would not have been as shocking in the culture of that day, at least the pagan culture, as it would seem to us today. But we certainly know that what she did was not what God had planned for Sarai and for Abram. So Sarai presents a perplexing character to us, doesn't she? Abram's the love of her life. There's no doubt that she dearly loves him. Look what she's willing to do in order that the promise of God can be kept and Abram can have a child. Look what she's willing to do. Uh, as critical as we might want to be of Sarai, one thing we can say for sure, she loved her man. I mean, to think that a woman would say, sleep with my slave in order to, that you might have the child that God's promised you, that's, un, that's unbelievable. She's willing to share the marriage bed with another woman to give her husband a baby. Uh, that, that's astounding. Now, she blames the Lord for her lack of children. And she would manipulate what God either decided not to do in her mind. I'm, I'm going to manipulate here what God has decided not to do, which would mean God's gone back on his word, which would mean... The God who passed through the carcass of the animals is now subject to being sundered apart himself. So she didn't think that through really well, did she? So God's either decided not to keep his word, or he's suddenly found that he is incapable. Which would mean that he is less than God. And we know that neither of those options are viable. So she wronged God, she wronged Abram, she wronged Hagar, and she wronged herself. And everybody that touches this thing has been wronged. And it, it's ironic, as you read the scripture, that in Egypt, Abram failed to trust God and gave Sarai over to Pharaoh. Now in Canaan, Sarai gave Abram over to her Egyptian servant. Isn't that fascinating? Now, Abram's passive, compliant conduct is offensive. Now, I know we're reading a lot in, I'm reading a lot into this. Did Abram argue? Did Abram debate? Did Abram initially say, oh, no way am I doing that. You're my only love. I'd never do that. I don't know. All I know is the scripture makes it look like Abram just said, okay. Uh, passive. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be cute, but, I, I, you know, it does appear that... He didn't protest too strongly. Um, he, now, you know, guys, I'm going to say all the talk about Sarah here, um, Abram's, Abram's the one responsible. He, he's the godly man who should have said, Sarah, we are not going to do that. I can't believe you even suggested it. And let's get on our knees right here in the tent and pray and ask God to forgive us. And we're not going to do that. We're going to wait on God. Now, that's what the godly man Abram should have done. But that is not what he did. Whether he argued or whether he didn't argue, he, he went along with what Sarai had suggested. 
and forgot, I guess, that he had heard the voice of God say, here's what I'm going to do in your life. And apparently had forgotten chapter 15. So the same bold man who chased down four kings over 120 miles and and kicked their behinds, that same brave man, now what? Isn't it interesting? And I guess it got to be kind of reassuring. Sometimes I can be frustrated with myself or with other believers. You know, we're up and we're down, faithful and obedient, and all of a sudden I say or do something stupid. And, and so we look at the Bible and we say, well, okay, they did too. So you know, they're very human, <laughs> extraordinarily so. But here's the fall. Uh, Abram sleeps with Hagar. Who gets, who gets no say-so in this? Hagar. No say-so at all. Uh, so this, this is ugly. She's a slave, so I'm telling you sleep with my husband, then that's what you're going to do. Some parallels here to the Garden of Eden. Abram listened to his wife, and Adam did too. Sarai took Hagar. Eve took the fruit. And in both cases, the man became a willing partner. So there's chaos. Abram and Sarah treated Hagar like an inanimate object without a soul. And that's wrong. Well, she gets pregnant. And Sarah turns volcanic. Because it doesn't take long for Hagar, who's already been mistreated, for Hagar to become contemptuous of Sarah because she's pregnant with Abram's child and Sarah never had a baby so she becomes contemptuous now there's conflict in the tent there's conflict um, and uh, uh, get mad at Sarai she mistreated Hagar there's no justification for that at all but I go back Abram is responsible for the chaos in the tent men we can't wiggle out of that can. So Abram should have assured Sarai of his love. You're my one and only. You're gorgeous. I love you. I love nobody else. I will not sleep with Hagar. We're going to wait on God to keep his promise. If we have to wait another 20 years, we're going to wait on God to keep his promise. But that isn't what happened. So we come to verse 7 and there's a divine intervention. Hagar was abused by a resentful Sarai. Abram let her do what she wanted, um, even though she bore his child. And when you begin to distrust God, I think almost anything is possible. So Hagar left, escaped, slipped out, middle of the night. Sometimes I don't know how she did it, but she she left. And she's headed home. The direction she was going, she's going home to Egypt. That's where she's going. But God intervenes and he goes after Hagar. 
and says, go back and submit. Wow. How can Hagar bear to do that? Well, I don't know what went through her mind, but what I do know is she did what God told her to do. And she went back to Sarai. And there's a divine revelation in verse 10. Hagar's descendants will be included in Abram's descendants, and they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And she becomes an honored woman by bearing the child of Abram. 11 and 12 tell us he's going to be a boy named Ishmael. And his character will be wild and violent, and he will become a great nation. Ishmael, God has heard. Wild donkey of a man. These aren't my words, it's God's words. Wild donkey of a man. Very individualistic. Not bound by any social conventions. Wild and free Bedouin. He would live in perpetual conflict with those around him. Uh, maybe I should say he lives in perpetual conflict with those around him. Ishmael's prophecy is par a part of from the promised land, I might add, he will live in perpetual conflict and his seed will become a thorn to God's people, both old and new, both then and now. And Hagar gives us a remarkable response of worship when she responds to God by saying, you are a God of seed. She honors God. And in verse 16, she gives birth. And make note, because we'll pick up here uh, next time. Make note, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. We're going to see Hagar and Ishmael again. And uh, we will pick up at chapter 17 next week. Abram to Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. So that will be next Wednesday right here, same time, same place. Father, you are good. I pray that we will cling to the promises that you have made to us in your word. And we'll not doubt even on those days when we believe we can't feel your presence. We wonder if you're there. We wonder if you're hearing from us. Have you forgotten us? I pray that we will remember all of the promises that you have made, including the one that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we claim that today in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.